So moving forward, I, I just want to say two things that and, and challenge us in, in these two ways. And, and first and foremost, uh, in terms of jumping to conclusions, you know, one of the things that we want want to refrain from doing is jump jumping to conclusions when others person's uh, opinions and ideas and thoughts differ from our own, right? How many of you agree that we need to not be so quick to judge others? So in this way, not jumping to conclusions by placing value judgment on others that have different uh, ideas, but also not jumping to conclusions when it comes to um, uh, an idea or opinion on a given topic. How many of you believe we need to be more like the Bereans? Amen? Now, it didn't matter if it was Paul or Silas. The Bereans were going to check it out and validate Paul's message against the Word of God. And that is certainly something that that we need to do as Seventh-day Adventists, is go to the Word of God and the Spirit of Prophecy to validate anything that is, uh, that is said. And I would expect you to do the exact same thing with me here this morning, is don't just take it at face value or accept it, but to go back and, and study for yourself. And by the way, when I mean study for yourself, does that mean listening to a podcast or a sermon on YouTube that validates our assumptions and ideas? Is that what it means to study and to delve deep? No, it does not. It means to go back to the original sources, and that is ultimately the Word of God. So let's, let's dive right in. I was um, tasked at this last GYC. It's a, a conference held for young people, and it was in Arizona this year. And so I kind of oversaw a seminar series on religious liberty. And we, we actually had Pastor Mark Howard. I know some of you may know him. Certainly you know his brother, uh, Pastor Jim Howard, who was a pastor uh, here um, at, at Metro Church. And also uh, another panelist there at GYC was Pastor Joe Reeves. How many of you were here when, when Joe Reeves was here as well? Okay, so I see a number of hands. He was also there uh, at least for the panel portion. And we had a really good discussion. The sermons are up on Audioverse if you want to have a chance to look at that. And we discussed two subjects or two topics that created some discussion. And I'm going to share what those two topics are this morning in light of what the Bible and some of our pioneers and the Spirit of Prophecy have to say about these two topics. And we're going to be delving into Revelation chapter 13. Amen? And so we're going to look at the lamb-like beast. We're going to take a historical look at what the Spirit of Prophecy has said, the pioneers, uh, some scripture. And I'm going to say right off the bat that one of my assumptions is that I do assume the prophetic role of the Spirit of Prophecy, and I also have a qualified respect for the writings of our pioneers, okay? And I mean, I say qualified because they're not inspired like the Bible and, of course, the spirit of prophecy would be. So I do have a qualified respect for the works of our pioneers, but we're going to be looking at the spirit of prophecy and the pioneers, and certainly this is by no means 
uh, exhaustive. So this is topic number one. I'm going to throw the two out there for you. The first one has to do uh, with this notion that the lamb-like beast, speaking as a dragon, refers directly to slavery, at least historically speaking, and more broadly, racism and the broader injustices that we're witnessing in the United States today. By the way, this, this discussion, there was an article published recently, I think a couple months ago, in the review, where the author shared a certain perspective. If you go on social media, this topic is being discussed widely. How many of you have heard some of this uh, discussion before yourselves? Okay, so I see a couple of hands. So is the lamb-like beast, when it speaks as a dragon, is it referring to slavery and some of the injustices that we're witnessing today in society? So one of the things I want to point out, and that is this, the imagery of the lamb itself, the irony of how the lamb is presented, right? Do lambs normally speak or sound like dragons? They do not, right? And so this is the imagery that's coming forth. There's this uncharacteristic attribute of this lamb that sounds like a dragon, right? And it's, there, there's a dissonance there, a discrepancy, a, dis, a, dis, a dissonance, a disconnect in the imagery that we see in Revelation 13. And so the argument is proposed, well, what greater dissonance in the history of the United States, when we're looking through our history, especially during the time of our pioneers, what greater dissonance that, that we see than what was professed by this country, right? All men are created equal, and yet we had the institution of slavery. So this is the discussions, these are some of the arguments that are Proposed. And by the way, there are some, you could say, some legitimate reasons why Adventists are discussing this today and kind of adopting some of these ideas, because our pioneers also associated the lamb-like beast with slavery. So if you have some sort of respect or uh, value what the pioneers wrote and take it at face value, you might say, well, they shared it. So we, that must have been part of our message back in the day. So there are, are at least some uh, historical precedents for why this discussion is taking place today. And I might add, we added slavery historically, but racism and some of the broader injustices that we're witnessing today, we might also include the, in, this, in this word here or this phrase, broader injustices, to include, when the lamb-like beast is speaking as a dragon, uh, that it includes some of the COVID-related mandates that we saw, right? Many were making that association, especially during the heat of the pandemic, that, that the, the, the mandates that were coming forth locally and federally constituted the lamb-like beast speaking as a dragon, all right? So what does, let, let's go to scripture, let's go to the spirit prophecy and see uh, what is specifically stated there. Now, 
The second, that was just the first topic. That's pretty loaded. We could spend this entire Sabbath school just talking about that. But I'm going to add another one. The lamb-like beast speaking as a dragon suggests a secular or authoritarian or totalitarian takeover in the United States or some global initiative, such as an international government, these alliances, these global alliances that we see, uh, and entities, and that these things are the indication, the catalyst, or the impetus for end-time prophetic fulfillment. And again, uh, during the heat of the pandemic, you certainly saw this association being made in social media, right? Whenever, uh, you know, with the church closures, with the, the, the Biden mandates, and some that happened under uh, former President Trump, when these things were coming out, it's, hey, the beast is beginning to speak. We are nearing, we are approaching the end of all things, right? That was the rhetoric that we saw amongst many Seventh-day Adventists during that time. So the question that we want to address is, is it biblically legit to equate government mandates that we saw recently with the dragon's breath? And by the way, the dragon's breath stinks, doesn't it? Right? Do we associate those things with dragons, uh, the dragon's uh, breath? So, are you ready to dive in? All right. So let's uh, move forward. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 13. And I'm going to just assume, because you are deep in the Word of God, you've studied Revelation 13 before, you've been to unlock Revelation, so you have a basic understanding. And this is stuff we've grown up with, right? And I'm going to assume that you know that the lamb-like beast in some way, shape, or form represents the United States of America. It's going to speak like a dragon, that ultimately there's going to be some type of persecution that takes place over the issue of worship. And Seventh-day Adventists have always understand, understood that to mean that the issue will be over Sunday legislation. Amen? So we know that much, but I just want to kind of, in a very quick way, go through some of the things that are highlighted over here just as a quick review. So this other beast that comes out, out of the earth that speaks like a dragon, we understand this to be the United States of America or the government we live in. The two horns, we have understood those two horns to mean something specific. We find it in the Great Controversy. The pioneers also reiterated that. The two horns representing Protestantism and Republicanism, not the Republican Party, but the re representative form of government that we find within the United States. It's going to uh, appear like a lamb, docile, Christian-like, harmless, right? There's going to be some level of profession. We, we kind of shared that earlier. But it's going to speak as a what? As a dragon, right? This uncharacteristic um, attribute of this lamb. Now, by the way, in the book Great Controversy, and I would invite all of you to read the chapter entitled God's Law Immutable. In the Great Controversy, that is the chapter where you find the summary of Revelation chapter 13 in the book Great Controversy. She says there 
that the speaking as a dragon represents, and she makes it very specific, the actions of the United States legislative and judicial branches of government. Okay? So she equates the speaking as a lamb, or the speaking as a dragon, as the actions of the legislative and judicial branches of the United States government. All right? It's going to exercise all the authority of the first beast. By the way, that first beast is identified in verses 1 through 10, the the leopard-like beast that we have concluded uh, through Bible study, our pioneers did it, to be the papacy or the medieval uh, church. Okay? And by the way, the attributes we find in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 13 are nearly identical to the little horn power of Daniel chapter 7. And that's why we see this as the same power as representing the papacy. All right? So it's going to exercise all the authority, this government, and what we mean by that is that it will exercise persecuting authority that we saw during the 1260-year prophecy. All right? Now, if you skip down a little bit, this power... This lamb-like beast is also going to cause the earth to worship the first beast. All right? So the United States is going to take a leading role in causing the earth, the world, to worship the first beast. So the role of the United States is paramount and explicitly stated in Scripture. So there's going to be the role of this U- of the U.S. in enforcing some observance as an act of homage to the papacy. That's essentially what Ellen White describes in that chapter, God's Law Immutable. Now, moving forward very quickly, there are going to be miracles, right? Signs and wonders. There's going to be deception. So deception we're going to get to that later, is going to play a significant role with the lamb-like beast. And then this reference to the image of the beast, or the image to the beast. We're going to talk about that in greater depth in just a moment. And ultimately, the, the, the verses here end with this death decree over the issue of worship. Are we on the same page? Nothing new. This is just review. All right. So moving forward, we're going to go through four considerations, four things that I'm not, I'm not telling you what to think or believe. These are four things that I'm inviting you to consider as we entertain those two topics or those two questions that we just looked at previously. What is the lamb-like beast referring to? Slavery? Is it referring to the mandates we saw? Is it referring to some of these global movements we're seeing and witnessing in the world today? Now, the books of Daniel Revelation, this is a pre-consideration. The books of Daniel and Revelation, the prophetic narrative that we find in these books, track the rise and fall of nations, which at times were persecuting powers, But it's in relation, this is the argument I'm making this morning, it's in relation to God's people, to God's faithful, the remnant, both in ancient history, 
into the present and into the future. Okay? Does that make sense? So when you look at the book of Revelation, as a matter of fact, what is the chapter that precedes Revelation 13? What's chapter 12? And if you look at chapter 12, really it's describing the experience of the Christian church, the faithful Christian church during the 1260-year prophecy, right? That's what much of Revelation 12 is about, is the experience of God's people, his faithful, right, during a time of persecution. Then chapter 12 ends with the dragon being what? Wroth with the woman. The woman represents the church, right, and wants to make war with the remnant or those that remain right? The faithful living at the end of time. And then you hit Revelation 13. So I think a very strong case can be made that the subject matter or the recipients of the dragon's breath talked and discussed in Revelation 13 has to do with God's faithful uh, first and foremost. Because everyone's going to be undergoing this, uh, the, the enforcement of Sunday worship, ultimately the world. But the primary focus is upon God's people who are standing up for the Sabbath truth. Amen? Amen. So, with that behind us, let's go to consideration number one. The lamb-like beast, speaking as a dragon, is fulfilled when Sunday legislation is is enforced by federal authorities at the direction of the church in relation to Sabbath or commandment keepers, or we might add, the remnant church. Okay, I'm going to repeat. The lamb-like beast, speaking as a dragon, is fulfilled. Right? I'm defining the time, the time frame, and the context in which this fulfillment takes place. When Sunday legislation is enforced by federal authorities, but at the direction of the church, in relation to Sabbath or commandment keepers, right? So I'm defining this time frame and specifically the recipients of the dragon's breath right here in consideration number one. Why do I state that, right? Let's read this statement here. This is Signs of the Times by Ellen White. Under the symbols of the great red dragon, pagan Rome, a leopard-like beast, Papal Rome, and a beast with lamb-like horns, where we're living today. This earth, the earthly governments, which would especially, uh, which would be especially engaged in trampling upon God's law and persecuting who? Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, in relation to, whoops, I got to catch up. I'm actually thinking I'm changing it here, but. I need to make sure I'm changing it there. So, that was the, um, uh, this was the consideration. And by the way, I can provide these slides. Uh, They already have it. My notes are on there too. Um, And I don't think I said anything too crazy in there. So, you can uh, take a look at, at that, right? So, this is the consideration that I just shared. And this is the quote. Under the symbols of a great red dragon, a leopard-like beast, and a beast with lamb-like horns, the earthly governments, which would be especially engaged in trampling upon God's law and persecuting his people, 
were presented to John. So summarizing, the pagan Rome, papal Rome, our today's government, it's, uh, John is given a window into the persecution of God's people during the periods of these persecuting powers. Let's look at some of what the pioneers uh, uh, stated. Prophecy represents... Hold on. Oh, we are actually not there uh, yet. So let me just put it this way. Uh, This is the second quote. It has been shown that the United States is the power represented by the beast with lamb-like horns, right? And that this prophecy will be fulfilled when? When? When the United States shall enforce Sunday observance, okay? So I'm trying to build the case for that consideration that we just saw from the spirit of prophecy as we see it historically in her writings and, and others. Second quote, prophecy represents... Protestantism. So now it's not just the United States. There's a little more specificity to it. It's Protestantism. It's not just the U.S., but Protestantism as having lamb-like horns but speaking like a dragon. Already we are beginning. In other words, right now, currently. And notice when this quote is dated, 1889, which was around the time where A.T. Jones went before that Senate committee to argue in behalf of religious liberty as it pertained to Sunday legislation, okay? She says, at that, around that time, already we are beginning to hear the voice of the dragon. There is a satanic force propelling the Sunday movement. Association again. When does the lamb-like beast speak? Well, it's in the context where she says, hey, we're beginning to hear it. It's with the pro- the propelling of the Sunday movement, and she says it's concealed. Let not the commandment keepers, uh, uh, people of God, be silent at this time. Another quote, religious powers. So Protestantism, the United States, these are all synonyms, right? Religious powers, Protestantism, the United States, religious powers allied to heaven by profession and claiming to have the characteristics of a lamb. We're talking in a power that professes Christianity explicitly. Will show by their actions that they have the heart of a dragon. So we know what she's referring to, what prophecy she's referring to. And that they are instigated and controlled by Satan. The time, notice the date here, the time is coming, right? So the Sunday movement and all that has, has somewhat died down, right? By the year 1902, I'm not saying it wasn't still being discussed, but it wasn't as pressing as it was during that period. So she says here, in 1902, the time is coming, meaning future, when God's people will feel the hand of persecution because they what? Keep the the holy the seventh day. Do you see the association being made? between the lamb-like beast speaking as a dragon and Sunday, Sunday enforcement. It's very clear from the writings of the spirit of prophecy. So, and we're going to build uh, on this. So, does it refer, the, lamb, the lamb-like beast speaking as a dragon, based on what we've heard thus far, can it refer to slavery, so, uh, social injustice, we might add, 
the injustices that we're seeing today. Look at it within the context of some of the statements we've written or uh, that, that have been shown here. Consideration number two. <clears throat> to determine the identifying characteristics of the lamb-like beast that speaks as a dragon, including the image of the beast and the image to the beast, one must first identify the defining attributes of the papacy. All right, let me repeat that. To determine the identifying characteristics of the lamb-like beast that speaks as a dragon, including the image of the beast, one must first identify the defining attributes of the papal power. So when does dragon speak take place? When are we going to begin smelling the breath of the dragon? This is, these are the relevant questions we need to be asking ourselves. Is, was it and did it take place during the mandate that we saw issued by state and, and federal authorities with the closures, etc.? And who is doing the dragon speak? Is it Governor Whitmer? Is it Trump and Pence? Is it Fauci? And he, I know he's no longer. And Biden? Does it constitute the CDC, the WHO, or the financial entities that we see out there, the global elites, the Great Reset Movement, Bill Gates, George Soros, right? Uh, the F, uh, the uh, Does it include Facebook execs? Does it include the General Conference? Which entities and institutions and individuals engage in dragon speak according to the spirit of prophecy and when? We're going to look at some statements. And by the way, this is in the context of identifying the lamb-like beast that speaks as a dragon because there was all of that rhetoric taking place associating uh, these things with dragon speak, right, in our, in the, over the past several years. So, in order to identify the lamb-like beast, we need to, and the image of the beast, we need to go to the papacy. Am I just making that up? No. Ellen White says this very, this very thing. But what is the image of the beast, she says, and how is it to be formed? The image is made by the two-horned beast, and it is an image to the first beast. Then to learn what the image is like and how it is to be formed, we must study the characteristics of the beast itself. Amen? The papacy. All right? Now, now let's look at some of the writings of our pioneers. This is Uriah Smith in his book, Daniel and Revelation. To understand what would be an image of the papacy, we must first gain some definite, de definite idea of what constitutes the papacy. The papacy was a church clothed with civil power, an ecclesiastical body having authority to punish all dissenters. What would be an image of the papacy? Well, it's another ecclesiastical establishment clothed with similar power. Not just Uriah Smith. Let's look at James White. As the beast is the papal church, a church having civil power to carry out its decrees and, and execute whatever penalty it might affix to the crime of heresy, an image of this beast 
must be an ecclesiastical organization possessing the same essential features and established upon the same basis. James White. Let's look at uh, as early as 1851. This is in the Advent Review and the Sabbath Herald, and there's multiple authors cited there, including Bates, Rhodes, J. and Andrews, James, and James White. The first beast was a church clothed with civil power and authority by which it put to death the saints of God, an image to the beast. Then must be another church clothed with civil power and authority to put the saints of God to death. This can be nothing else but the corrupt and fallen Protestant church. Ellen White, in order for the United States to form an image of the beast, the religious power must so control the civil government that the authority of the state will also be employed by the church. The imagery here is that you have the woman riding the beast and not the other way around. It is the church that employs the state and, and instills a punishment upon the people. This is Ellen White, Great Controversy, the 1888 version. Let us read this in the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 278, and this comprises two slides. The spirit of persecution manifested by paganism and the papacy, so there's uh, these two powers, is again to be revealed. Prophecy declares that this power will say to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast. The image is made to the first or leopard-like beast, the Roman church. Now she describes it. An ecclesiastical body, clothed with civil power, having the authority to punish all dissenters. The image to the beast represents another what? Religious body clothed with similar power. Let me make it very clear here that Ellen White is not speaking in types and symbols here, right? She's spelling out what Revelation 13 says, which is speaking in types and symbols. She is spelling it out. She's making it very clear that it will be a religious body clothed with similar power. This is why there are so many Adventists today speaking out against the dangers of the union of church and state in this country. Because based on these passages, this is the impetus for the end times that we have understood. So the quote carries over. The image to the beast represents another religious body clothed with similar power. Then she says this. When the churches of our land, notice, there's even a greater level of specificity. It's not just the U.S., it's not just the Protestants, it's not just a religious body, but it's when the churches of our land, uniting upon such points of faith as are held by them in common, the churches will influence the state, Christians, to enforce their decrees, religious decrees, and sustain their institutions, religious institutions. And then notice the words. 
then will Protestant America have formed an image to the Roman hierarchy. When does Dragon Speak take place? She makes it absolutely clear and definitive. It is when this takes place. And then she says, then the true church will be assailed by persecution. I'm talking about prophetic, biblical persecution. We are going through hardship. COVID brought a lot of hardship amongst all of us as Seventh-day Adventists, some more direct than others, absolutely. And it was a, an aspect, or uh, you might call it persecution in some respects. But when it refers to the prophetic persecution that Ellen White is describing, that is yet future. And this is a similar uh, quote that was published in 1910, five years before the death of Ellen White, and essentially is a summary uh, of what we have read thus far. When the Protestant churches shall unite with the secular power, she's meaning the secular government uh, here, to sustain a religion, albeit a false religion, she says, when the state shall use its power to enforce the decrees and sustain the institutions of the, of the church, then, right, she's marking the time period, then, this point in time, the Pro will Protestant America have formed an image to the papacy, and there will be national apostasy which will end in national ruin. Consideration number three, the United States, Protestantism, Christian churches will play the leading role, the impetus, they will be the catalyst in Sunday enforcement and the persecution of God's people in the United States and ultimately the world. Consideration number three, and, and we've been alluding to this in some statements, but let's just drive it home. Okay? These are writings from the spirit of prophecy. History repeats itself, she says. The same masterful mind that plotted against the faithful in ages past is now at work to gain control of the falling churches. That through them he may condemn and put to death all who will not worship the idol Sabbath. Satan will excite the indignation of apostate Christendom against the humble remnant who conscientiously refuse to accept their, their customs and traditions. The church and the world, again, the world here, she's, she's using uh, generically to represent the state, the government. The church and the world will unite, and the world will lend to the church her power to crush out the right of the people who worship God according to his word. This is a very fascinating statement. Pay uh, close attention here. Heathen and papists through the centuries were actuated by the same dragon spirit. Whether it's Christian or not, there's one dragon that actuates both. Amen? Very clear. And by the way, in what I'm sharing here, I am not an apologist for these world organizations, these entities, and and 
our governor here in Michigan, etc. I'm only trying to share here, my attempt here is to share what the spirit of prophecy and, and what we have historically taught as a church and the reasons why we have taught these things as a church for all these years. Because you go back to the spirit of prophecy and it's, it's clear. They differed, she says, the heathens and papists, they differed only in that the Romish apostate made a pretense of serving God. Lamb-like beast, but speaks as a dragon. That disconnect. She's alluding to that here. There's a pretense of serving God. And notice what she says. This ultimately made them the more dangerous and cruel foe. All right? Because deception deceives, right? Deception, the deceptive power is, is more dangerous because it masquerades itself as, as something that it isn't and thus deceives, can deceive people, right? John beheld a new power coming up to echo the dragon's voice, talking about the lamb-like beast, and carry forward the same cruel and blasphemous work. This power, the last that is, wa- is to wage war against the church. Notice that it is a blasphemous its work that the the earth beast engages in. By the way, those of you who have taken Bible studies by Seventh-day Adventist or have been in a Revelation seminar, blasphemy takes place when there is a pretense of serving God, right? That association was made by Jesus because there is only one that can forgive sins, and that is God alone, right? Ellen White again, it was apostasy. And by the way, how does, what are the events, what are the things that transpire, that, that propel this image uh, to mirror the first beast? Okay, that's what she's talking about here. And notice where she, where her focus is. It was apostasy that led the early church, the Christians, to seek the aid of the civil government. And this, apostasy in the church, it was this that prepared the way for the development of the papacy, the beast. And then she concludes with this statement. So, it's apostasy in the church, and she's not talking about Advent, the Adventist church per se. She's talking about Christendom at large, right? It is apostasy in the churches that constitute Babylon, right? That we are called to call people out of. It is apostasy in the church that will prepare the way for the image to the beast. The scriptures teach that popery is to regain its lost supremacy and that the fires of persecution will be rekindled through the time-serving concessions of the so-called Protestant world. This is the last um, um, quote that under this final one, and, and the last consideration only has one quote. So we're essentially wrapping up here. But she makes this commentary in a letter, letter 232, in 1899, 
And she says this, speaking of Revelation chapter 17, and the imagery is the woman riding the beast, right? The church is leading the movements at the end. And there are many daughters, the daughters signifying, as some of our pioneers have pointed out, the Protestant churches, okay? Notice what she says, in the 17th of Revelation is foretold the destruction of all the churches, who corrupt themselves by idolatrous devotion to the service of the papacy. John writes, I saw a woman, church, sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, empires and governments, full of names of blasphemy. Thus is represented the papal power, which deceives all nations. What is it that gives its kingdom to this power? Protestantism, a power which while professing to have the temper and spirit of a lamb and to be allied to heaven, speaks with the voice of a dragon. The final consideration is the role of the environment and natural disasters. And of course, some of what's discussed today in light of the environment, uh, at least that I know of, wasn't a part of the discussion back then, right? The man-made causes for, for uh, the environment. And then some of what we see, uh, some in this country, but especially you see globally and international, internationally, this, this movement to have a day of rest for Mother Earth or uh, you know, the environment, etc. And then there's some discussion taking place about this is how the Sunday legislation is going to be passed. And there's a lot of focus of that in this country. And especially so because the environment and man-made causes for climate change is, is a hotly contested political discussion. And there's nothing that Ellen White says in reference to that discussion. But she does speak about environmental disasters. And it's very interesting, at least in the context of what takes place in this country. I get it that internationally and globally, all the world is ultimately going to fall in line to the earth beast. No, no question. All the world wonders after the beast. I am not defending them. And, and these will be instruments, I believe, at the end that will bring especially the, the more secular-minded in to this movement. Unquestionable, uh, that, that's what I believe, and that's what I kind of foresee from a human standpoint. But notice what she says in relation to natural disasters. Men in responsible positions will... From the sacred desk, these are Christians, it assumes that they are pastors and clergy. They will urge upon the people the observance of the first day of the week. They will point to calamities on land and sea, to the storms of wind, the floods, the earthquakes, the destruction by fire, as judgments indicating God's displeasure. Because Sunday is not sacredly observed. These calamities will increase. One disaster 
will follow close upon the heels of another. We, I don't think we're too far from that. Right? I'm not, I mean, I'm not a prophet. I'm not projecting anything. I'm just saying you're seeing a lot of natural disasters taking place. And those who make void the law of God, who are those? It's those who are in responsible positions from the sacred desk. It is those who make the void of law of God will point to the few, the remnant, the faithful, who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. They will point to the few who are keeping the Sabbath of the fourth commandment as the ones who are bringing wrath upon the world. Well, friends, I hope I didn't say anything too heretical for you this morning. And I pray that you and I, together, as a church, as we wrestle with prophecy, Ellen White says that it is the study of revelation that will propel one of the elements that will propel a revival in the church and that it can lead to revival. How many of you believe we need to be studying the books of Daniel and Revelation? Amen? Much more now than ever before. And if anything, this discussion, this controversy, this whatever that's taking place in the church, it can be turned into a positive if we go to the books of Daniel and Revelation and begin studying just like the Bereans did just like they did of old. And we challenge one another, not with the opinions of men, not from this sermon I heard on YouTube, not from this or that that I heard elsewhere, not from some podcast that we heard by some random person or someone who's popular today. We're not going to get our prophetic message from the Jordan Petersons, the Joe Rogans, the MSNBCs of the world. It's not going to come from these places, from CNN. Absolutely not. We need to go to the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that ultimately you have given us the word of God. And somehow you knew that we wouldn't do a very good job in reading the word of God, and so you gave us and gifted us with the lesser light that would help us towards the greater light. And as we've wrestled with and looked at a series of passages or some statements from our pioneers, from the spirit of prophecy, we pray that you will guide us and lead us to truth and help us to find that truth in the word and no place else. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.